Welcome to Tokyo Game Life, a Tokyo-based video game podcast focusing on Nintendo and gaming culture in Japan's capital. Your host, Mono, here to bring you a slice of gaming life from Tokyo. And it feels like I can't go anywhere in the city without bumping into our favorite micro-minions, Pikmin. Yes, this is a special Pikmin-themed episode. But I'm not alone as Josh from the Still Loading podcast joins me to chat about Pikmin 4, Pikmin 1 Plus 2, and the Pikmin mania that has swept Tokyo. Plus, we will get into the news, which is slightly Pikmin-related, so that's good enough. Let's start with Pikmin 4 with Josh from the Still Loading Podcast. Tokyo Game Life, only on the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. After a 10-year wait, the newest Pikmin title is finally here. Pikmin 4 released on the Switch a few days ago, and not only that... I've gone back to the GameCube days to play Pikmin 1 Plus 2. Joining me to chat about these games and more is a special guest. So guest, please introduce yourself. Hey, this is Josh from uh, the Still Loading Podcast. Thank you again for having me back on, Mono. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. I really, I, I legitimately love your podcast, especially when I'm not on it, because I, <laughs> I feel like I drag down the quality maybe just a bit. But no, I, I really do love your show, and I'm so honored that you invited me back on. So thank you. Thanks for coming back. First of all, this episode couldn't happen without you because you really revitalized my interest in Pikmin. During our Game of the Year episode for 2022, you mentioned that Pikmin was your maybe two or three favorite game of 2022, right? I believe so. I believe it was my, I don't remember the exact ranking, but it was definitely up there. I think maybe Final Fantasy IX was my number one. Yes. Um, Pikmin was a very close second or third or something like that for my own show i've on still loading a couple years ago start i guess starting in 2021 when my kid was born i decided to start a series on the history of rts games i talked about games dating back to the late 70s but one thing i didn't really get to cover because by the time you get to the mid 90s there's 30 or 40 rts games released a year and that was just between being a parent and trying to still do the podcast stuff full time i kind of ran out of steam with the series so i never got to talk about pikmin which is nintendo's attempt at the rts series I, that's why i brought all that that whole preamble up is because pikmin is nintendo's version of that and when i finally got to cover it on my own podcast late last year with my buddy veach from formerly of Bite Size pixel we covered the game on my channel and i fell in love with it when I'm playing it for the first time. I, I remember seeing ads for it as a kid, but I didn't have a GameCube growing up, so I really missed out on a lot of the fun titles. This in Pikmin, I was very pleasantly surprised by it. And uh, one thing I love about Nintendo is that when they tackle genres of games that they aren't generally known for they always have a very unique spin on it look at splatoon then the splatoon series like how they take arena shooters and kind of made it their own and the same goes for rts games pikmin isn't a typical all right let's go build a base and harvest some minerals or harvest some wood and then feed a bunch of soldiers or create a bunch of soldiers and go out it's a much more Nintendo approach to it. There's no really real other way to describe it other than it's a very Nintendo approach to the RTS genre. So I fell in love with the game and it was one of my biggest surprises because I really wasn't expecting to enjoy it. I ended up falling in love with it. And then in preparation for this episode, I unfortunately don't really have the time or the budget to uh, pick up Pikmin 4 yet, but I played the demo a ton in preparation for this episode and really enjoyed my time with that too. 
Yeah, and during our Game of the Year episode, when you were talking about how much you enjoyed Pikmin 1, you asked me, oh, you must be a Pikmin fan, right? But I shamefully said, not really, because I did have it on the GameCube, but I fell off of it eventually because I just really hated time games back in the day. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't even play Majora's Mask, despite Ocarina of Time being one of my favorite games as a kid, because I was so freaked out by the time gimmick. So I tried to avoid games with any sort of time limit for a long, long time. But then you talked about Pikmin 1 a lot, and I listened to your Pikmin episode, and I actually did already have Pikmin 3 Deluxe on my Switch for maybe about a year or so, because I bought it half off, but just never touched it. And then one day my wife said, oh, let's play a game together. And I thought, well, Josh was talking about Pikmin, so let's try Pikmin 3. So we played that together, and I absolutely loved it. So from that day, I just actually earlier this year, I got really into Pikmin. And this year is a great year to suddenly get into Pikmin, because... Everything you could ever want is happening right now. Pikmin is everywhere. And I got to ask, though, Mono, did your wife enjoy it as well? Uh, yeah, she actually likes Pikmin Bloom. That's her entry point into the Pikmin series. Okay. And so when we played it, some ideas are pretty familiar to her already. But Pikmin 3 is a very good co-op game. Today, we're not going to talk about Pikmin 3 so much. I did do an episode about that, listeners, if you want to hear more about my thoughts on Pikmin 3. But today, we're jumping into Pikmin 4. So it is the first Pikmin title in 10 years, and it's co-developed by Nintendo EPD-10, who worked on the other Pikmin games. So a lot of these staff, even from Pikmin 1, are working on Pikmin 4. And EPD-10 also works on the 2D Mario games, the new Super Mario Brothers series, and I suppose Super Mario Brothers Wonder coming out Mm -hmm. later this year. (laughs) And it's co-developed by Ating, which is another Japanese development company. And they're mostly famous for the Bloody Roar series, if you remember that yeah. fighting game series. And they, they do a lot of support work for a bunch of other companies. They've worked on a ton of anime games. They've worked on a lot of Capcom fighters, Tatsunoko versus Capcom. I think a lot of hardcore Nintendo fans know them from Kurukuru Kururin, a puzzle game that did come out on Nintendo Switch Online earlier this year. And I did talk about it on the podcast as well. And in Pikmin 4, there is a very fun Kurukuru Kururin reference. So... That's the backstory. I want to hear your thoughts first before we dive into the game. You played the demo. I have the full game, and I haven't rolled credits yet, but I'm farther than you. So I want to hear your thoughts on the demo. First off, the fact that I don't know if this really counts as a spoiler because I'm pretty sure it's in the promotional material. And it's in the demo, so I don't think think you could count that as a spoiler or anything. You don't play as Olimar. Uh, Mm. That really surprised me in a good way. I love the fact that... When you boot up the game, Olimar crash lands, of course, once again, as, as he is wont to do, crash lands on a planet. And there's a he calls for help and a rescue team comes in and they also crash. So it's up to you, the the new rookie on the force, the new rookie on the on the rescue team to come in and save not only Olimar, but also the rescue team that was sent there to save <laughs> yes. Olimar. You have to rescue and the rescue team. Exactly. This is some inception level shenanigans going on. But uh, that stood out to me, A, just because it's it's completely different, but B, also that you can create your own character. It's almost like you're creating a little me, but for Pikmin 4. And I love that they kind of, it's a Pikminized version of it. They're not trying to make you necessarily look human. That really stood out to me. And also, I, I was curious about the use of the dog, which is kind of, it doesn't really have front legs, does it? It has just two hind legs no. <laughs> and, and runs around. I wasn't really quite sure what to expect when I first booted it up, but I absolutely love how 
it, he contributes to the mechanics of the game. How you could do everything you normally could in Pikmin 1 while riding on top of him. So not only can you move faster, which kind of... I feel helps with the gripe I had with Pikmin 1 where Olimar can only run so fast and you feel you're kind of slowed down by that to an extent. But but Ochi, you can run a lot faster. You can throw Pikmin from his back. You eventually gain the ability to hop. You can upgrade Ochi with different abilities, which I didn't really get much of a chance to in the demo. But And then also you can upgrade your character with different abilities. I just really loved those things right off the bat. There's a lot more that you can do and it made it, a lot more intuitive and easy to adjust to the mechanics than it was in Pikmin 1. Especially for you, you're coming from Pikmin 1 to Pikmin 4, so that's quite a huge jump. For me, I'm coming from Pikmin 3, then I went Pikmin 1, then Pikmin 2. But even so, Pikmin 1 is really fresh in my mind. So I do also kind of feel, oh, going from Pikmin 1 to 4 is just a massive leap. For one thing, the Pikmin don't get stuck under the bridges anymore. So that's a very good thing to happen. Uh, So one of the first things I notice is just how streamlined and user-friendly the game is. The greatest addition to this game for me is that they have a cap on throwing the Pikmin. Now, what I mean by this is that, let's say an enemy is, it takes 10 Pikmin to carry. You know, in old Pikmin games, you just kind of jammed on the button or charged and they picked it up. But now, let's say you jam on it 12 times instead of 10. Instead of throwing two extra Pikmin, It kind of has a delay, so you don't throw the 11th and 12th Pikmin. Put in just enough of a delay so you're not wasting Pikmin. And that, to me, that was just a mind-blowing addition to the series because I think that's pretty typical for a lot of Pikmin fans where there's always a couple of stray Pikmin that get stuck somewhere or they get lost. And I know 20 years is a long time, but to see the advancement in AI from the Pikmin, from Pikmin 1 to 4, is a little mind-blowing, even though, yeah, a lot of time has passed. Well, that kind of feeds into the entire... One of the things Miyamoto really focused on in Pikmin 4 is the whole concept of Dandori, which I know is... Yes. I hope... I, I apologize. Any, well, that was perfect, actually. Everyone's well, been saying oh Dandori, but it is technically Dandori. Well, I, I, I dabble in Japanese very, very briefly, <laughs> very minorly. <laughs> but Miyamoto really focused on that throughout the development of this game because uh, it's there's not really a direct English translation to it, but Dandori is organizing tasks strategically and working effectively to execute plans. It's kind of just, you look at a problem and you will organize a plan to fix that problem as efficiently as possible with as little wasted effort as possible. So good Dandori would be no wasted effort, no wasted mm. energy. You, It's just pure kinetic planning. Oh, I love that they tried to gamify this concept because that's, that's all RTS games really are at, at their mm. core. Whether you're playing StarCraft, Pikmin, or Age of Empires, or list anyone, it's all about managing your resources, managing your time, knowing when is a good time to build certain things. And in Pikmin, as opposed to other RTSs where it's, okay, when do I move on to the next tech level or age or some? Do, when do I research this thing so these units can get these abilities? Pikmin is more about being able to prioritize and use your Pikmin in a, an efficient way. So you maybe you'll throw 10 over here to create a bridge. That, that way, by the time you defeat the enemy that you already started on the up with 10 more Pikmin and lift that enemy's body to bring it back to home base, so that way you can use its resources to get more Pikmin. 
they're not going to have to go the long way around because those 10 you had already used to build. And then while those guys are hauling the body back, you can then take those 10 that built the bridge and go over and find a, maybe a piece of your ship or a piece of treasure, and then they can bring that over. And it's all about prioritizing your time. And what I love about what this game does compared to Pikmin 1 Pikmin 1, you had not only did you have a certain amount of time to make actions and do stuff in each day, you also had a limited number of days in order to Mm. complete your overall task. I thought it was overall relatively fair, but it was still, it it did create a little element of just, oh crap, I got to get this done quickly. Versus in Pikmin 4, there's no hard limit on how many days that you have to complete your task of saving Olimar and saving the rescue team, but you still have a time clock for the day. You can only use Pikmin during the day, and if you leave any out there overnight, then they die. So it forces you to really, A, keep track of all of your Pikmin, and B, once again, back to Dondori, use them effectively. And in this game, what I liked in Pikmin 4 is that I think this is especially helpful for new people who may not want to feel rushed. If this type of game, if this time management thing stresses you out, do not fear, listeners. There are sections of the game where in the underground where time just doesn't pass. It, they give hmm. some story reason where it passes at one sixth of the regular speed. Yeah. But you don't, uh, for all intents and purposes, you don't have to worry about I don't even think you can see the time clock when you're underground so you literally don't have to worry about it it's wonderful so it allows you if you can find those locations to get into the underground you get new pikmin down there you can fight different enemies and get more resources and it allows players to explore and get used to the game's mechanics without necessarily having to worry about can i keep track of all my pikmin and not lose any before the day ends yeah one thing that i've noticed in a lot of reviews is that they've been calling pikmin for oh it's a cozy game And I never really thought of the Pikmin series as a cozy series. There was always a balance between having fun and also a bit of stress because they do want to focus on, you said before, the Don Doherty idea where you need to efficiently manage your time. You can't really waste time or waste Pikmin. So I think that's an interesting kind of shift for the series because Pikmin 1, it had a hard limit. You've got 30 days or else you're dead. But now it's beginning a bit more lax. Pikmin 2 didn't have a hard time limit. Pikmin 3 had one, but it was way more flexible than Pikmin 1. And now there's really no penalty at all for a day passing. It's an interesting balance because there's still a limit on the day. And there are penalties. You could lose your Pikmin, for example, if Mm -hmm. you don't get them all in that day. But they do want it to be a bit more, oh, take your time exploring. Take your time puzzle solving. Don't worry if you don't do everything in one day. It really feels like a culmination of a lot of the ideas from Pikmin 1 and 2, while also streamlining it a great deal. I just played Pikmin 3 earlier this year, and Pikmin 3, it does feel like a game that came out in 2013. When I was playing it, I was thinking, this is a great game, but there are some small things that would be changed if Pikmin 3 came out to this year. You can <laughs> definitely feel they've learned a lot from even just from Pikmin 3, the last game. It does open up with quite a bit of tutorialization at first. Yeah. Some people might be turned off by that. What did you think about the tutorializing at the beginning? I think it's a necessary evil. I'm sure there are ways for people who are much smarter than I am who could figure out ways to streamline the tutorialization part, the tutorial section of it. But it really needs a lot to, they do need a lot to onboard you. I do wish that maybe if they, if they really want to streamline it, maybe give an option, have you played Pikmin before? And if you have, then just explain Mm. what's new 
versus in this one where it feels there everything's being told to you. And with that said, there is a lot of new things to explain between the dog, between also all the different rescue members have different abilities. As you rescue new crew members, it opens up more abilities for you to use. For example, you can get upgrades for your dog. I mentioned before that comes from you finding one of the lost crew members who now has the ability to help you upgrade your dog. Or there is the ship's mechanic or the, the tech guide. And once you rescue the tech guide, now stuff in your in your suit will get be able to be upgraded and you can do more stuff with that. I don't have any more thoughts on the tutorialization. I will say it was a little boring. But I also understand the need for it. I just I wish there was a more fun way to do it. But I'm also hmm. not smart enough to be, hey, Nintendo, why didn't you do it this way with all my right. zero years of experience? I did like that you do technically start as Olimar. Mm-hmm. I always like it when games kind of swap the main character very early on. And we'll talk a bit more about Olimar when we talk about Pikmin 1 and 2. Because he's just he is in Pikmin 4. But it is interesting how they've used Olimar throughout the series. Because originally he's a hero in Pikmin 1. Pikmin 2, he's got to do his job. He's got to bail somebody out. Pikmin 3, you got to rescue him. And Pikmin 4, he's also in some dire trouble. So I can't really think of other Nintendo characters who just have as worse luck as Olimar. <laughs> he's just always in trouble, always needing yeah. rescuing. Yeah, so the game is really a mix of Pikmin 1 and 2 because Pikmin 1, you're really exploring the overworld. And Pikmin 2, that really focused on cave exploration. The overworld exploration part was really so you could unlock the caves. And that was the meat of the game. Pikmin 4 really has a great balance between Pikmin 1 and 2. Because Pikmin 3 definitely heavily leaned more towards the original game. So I think they're really trying to not only reach new players, but also trying to please the very divided Pikmin fan base. Because there are Pikmin 1 fans, there are Pikmin 2 fans. Of course, many people like both, but some are very adamant about, oh, one is certainly better than the other. But Pikmin 4, I think, is finally a peace treaty between the Pikmin 1 army and the Pikmin 2 army, because it has (laughs) everything great from those first two games in this one. The levels are really vast, and they have their own twist on the Pikmin gameplay, and you really can't see everything in one day. In one map alone, in Pikmin 4, there's at least over 80 treasures, which is insane. And a lot of them are really fun callbacks to Nintendo history, to Japanese culture, just things you find around the house. Do you have a favorite treasure that you found in the demo? I don't remember too many of them, but obviously the very first one you get, but it was the Game Boy Advance SP. Yes. I saw that. I went, hey, I recognize you. I thought that was really cool. I, I always love it when there's little nods to Nintendo history. I don't really, really remember too many of the other objects. I remember a pocket watch, but I couldn't figure out how to get it down for a little bit until I got the yellow Pikmin. So. Yeah, all... all- All the treasures look great. This game is on the Unreal Engine, so they've really taken a lot of time to make every single object as detailed as possible, which you really don't think about in a Nintendo game. You're thinking about, oh, art triumphs, graphical fidelity. But Pikmin is maybe technically the most realistic Nintendo franchise. I think what's so interesting about Pikmin's art direction is that you're right in that it is the most realistic Nintendo franchise. You can make the argument at the very least. But it, it's such a interesting mashup because the Pikmin and the dogs and all your characters and your spaceship and stuff like that are so cartoonish. They're so whimsical. But the world that they exist in very much feels like this is your backyard. 
it works really well. Sometimes that could be really jarring, but I think Nintendo did a really good job at pulling it off. Maybe it's just the color selection where they don't make the cartoons pop too much, but just enough type of thing. But that's what I love about Pikmin's art direction, and especially in Pikmin 4 here, where it would be very easy to make the Pikmin feel out of place in a realistic looking world, but they don't. They feel they actually belong. Yeah. And I, I think it's really solid art direction. So touching on the levels a bit more, I really like the design of all of them. The first one is, you said, a garden. There's a lot of tools sitting around. The second stage, which has been in the previews, so this is not really a spoiler, but it's a Japanese playground. So there's a lot of sakura Mm. trees and blossoms, and it looks really beautiful. I won't spoil the other ones. There is a house level, which was in the previews as well. I'm in the house level right now, and it's really awesome. That was my most anticipated level because you've never gone into a house in any of the other Pikmin games. And this really met my expectations. It is shockingly huge, even though it's really one or two rooms. But if you think about it, you're really tiny. So even one little area feels massive. What I like about the level design in Pikmin 4 too, at least from what I played with the demo, is the verticality of it. Yes. I remember in Pikmin 1, while there is verticality, technically, Olimar can't jump. He can throw the Pikmin Um, But you're pretty much reliant on either having to create ramps or finding ways to little fountains that'll shoot you up or different elevator type of actions that'll take you from one place to another. You're very much reliant on the world, just kind of the natural surroundings being able to elevate you or de-elevate you literally physically on the level. But in this, once Ochi gets the ability to jump, it it opens up so much more so many more exploration options i did test out to see because one of the cool things with ochi is that the pikmin can crawl and hold on his back but you can travel around with them and you can it, it makes it a lot easier you can store a lot with you so you don't have this trail of this army of pikmin following behind you ochi is one of the biggest additions to the game and it's definitely one of the more surprising additions i'm not sure if when you were playing pikmin one last year if you thought oh, they should really add a dog to this game. I think the addition of Ochi is something nobody wanted or thought of, but it is a great addition to the game because he is kind of like a super Pikmin. And it does tie in with the Don Doherty aspect where, okay, your Pikmin have specialized tasks, but he also can do a lot of things in tandem with the Pikmin, carry a Pikmin across the water, and he can also break things and also attack enemies. But yeah, he's a very strange addition, but he works perfectly well. And I don't want to say he's an easy button, but he definitely makes a lot of things easier. So if people who are new to the franchise, if they haven't mastered their Don Doherty skills, they can just jump on Ochi. And that's an easy way to get all the Pikmin together. And if an enemy has a big AoE attack, having them all centralized on Ochi really helps you keep the Pikmin population up. So he's... I don't want to say a crutch because it feels, oh, he's only for an easy mode. He's really not because he does have drawbacks. He can get knocked out. There are some things you can't do when you're riding Ochi. So I think they balanced it pretty well. But now I kind of wonder, oh, is every Pikmin game from now on, do you need an Ochi? Do you need a a helper buddy? And one of the other big additions is the Ice Pikmin. That's the brand new Pikmin they added. And these are quite interesting because... They're really multi-purpose. Of course, they attack enemies and they can freeze them, which makes them immobile. And so you can attack them even more. The drawback is that if you defeat an enemy when it's frozen, it explodes. And so you can't carry back its corpse to the onion. So you won't get extra Pikmin. I think this is also another good balance because I think a lot of especially hardcore Pikmin fans, they want to carry the corpse back. You want to see your little Pikmin carry 
that corpse back to the onion and get some more Pikmin. But for people who really don't care or, oh, this battle is kind of tough, how can I end it a bit quicker? The Ice Pikmin are a great way to end battles quickly, but there's still a drawback to using them. They mm-hmm. can also freeze water, which helps you traverse areas, which is great mm-hmm. if you don't have the Blue Pikmin. So what are your thoughts on the Ice Pikmin so far? I only got to really use them once because I was a little confused how they worked. I, I, I think I might have clicked through the mm. dialogue box a little too quickly, so I wasn't. I didn't pay close enough attention. But once I understood how they worked, I really loved it. I loved that it kind of actually reminded me a little bit of Ratchet and Clank in a weird way because oh. there is a. In, I forget which one. I think it might have been the second or third one. You get a gadget where essentially it's called a thermalizer or something. I forget what it is, but essentially it just allows you to freeze water or thaw ice so depending but what i'm about is that depending on the size of the body of water the it determines the amount of pikmin that you need in order to freeze it which is kind of cool so it, it forces you once again to manage your pikmin and make sure that you have enough either a with you or just b in general at all one thing real quick i wanted to shout out that you mentioned about ochi too how he's not a cheap button i'm with you 100 because playing it he he's basically a souped up pikmin and he also he's just another tool in your tool belt. He can charge at things. He can carry the Pikmin, like we mentioned already. But if you have Ochi ram an enemy or charge at them, then all the Pikmin, it'll do a bunch of damage on impact, and all the Pikmin will launch off of Ochi's back and start beating the crap out of the enemy. So it's this (laughs) massive surprise attack all at Mm. once. It's really satisfying if you when you do that because it takes out, at least in the early game, it takes out enemies. So it gets me very curious to see what more challenging enemies are gonna are they gonna throw at you as the game goes along if these guys are now a lot easier to deal with than they used to be. Yeah, the enemy variety in this game is excellent. There's a lot of callbacks to the original games, and also there's a lot of new ones as well. And you find a lot of new enemies, especially in the caves. So we talked about the levels. They're really vast. But the caves are also quite interesting and complex as well. They almost feel like shrines from Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom, where it's this isolated little area, and they have these very unique puzzles that you won't find in the overworld. One I did was where you could only bring in blue Pikmin. However, the whole map is covered in fire. So you need oh, to lure geez. you need to lure the enemies into these water puddles so that they're extinguished and then you can attack them. So that kind of oh, thing okay. is really clever. I did another one as well where it's half ice, half fire, where there are these braziers of fire and you can throw a fire Pikmin to get like a, it looks like a pine cone of fire. And then he can melt the ice or melt these bushes inside the stage with this fire but it's also really cold so if you use them for too long they'll freeze so you need to kind of balance mm-hmm. between the ice pikmin and the red pikmin and so this really ties in with the don doherty aspect where you really need to think about and plan where you're going to throw the pikmin in the main level but it's a bit more open it's really focused more on exploration but these caves are mostly about puzzle solving and the don doherty challenges that appear as well they're not really caves but they're Similar, you go into a tube or whatever. And there's two different types of Don Doherty challenges. There's the Don Doherty battle, which I believe mm-hmm. is in the demo, where another enemy is trying to collect a lot of things and you need to collect more things than the enemy. And so you kind of have to compete with them. And there's also Don Doherty meditation, where there's no other person trying to mess you up, but it is kind of like a mini little area and you need to get enough points within the time limit. So this is really important because you need to think about 
okay, where do I need to send my Pikmin? Because there is a hard time limit and I need X amount of points. And there has been some where I failed because my Don Doherty skills were not good enough. But when I tried again, I thought, okay, I need to move this Pikmin here at this moment, this Pikmin here at this moment. And then I cleared it pretty easily. But I've had a lot of close calls. Literally the last second is when I got the the final point. Uh, so these Don Doherty challenges are really awesome because it's really the concept distilled into this small gameplay segment. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really awesome how they balance all the different things that make Pikmin great. People who like the strategy aspects, the Don Doherty, they have the, the caves and they have these Don Doherty challenges. People who really like carrying big things and they're exploring this vastly detailed world and fighting enemies. The levels are so huge, so you can do that as well. So it really pleases everybody. Everything you like about Pikmin, it might be different, but it's in this game, which I think is really great. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I I I I've really enjoyed the time that I've put into it so far. And specifically, I didn't get a chance much to try out those Dondori challenges. You don't really get a taste of it in the demo so much, but they do expand on it quite a bit in the main game. That that I'm that makes me very much look forward to trying it out in the full game when I do eventually purchase it. Because if you really enjoy the feedback loop that the game offers you, it's really testing the full use of your skill. So if you really enjoy micromanaging the, your Pikmin, having five go over this way and ten go over that way, one builds a bridge or ten builds a bridge, five attack this enemy, four grab this treasure, the other four pick up a couple extra tokens so that we can get some more Pikmin to replace the ones that you've lost in the fight. I really enjoy games. That offer players that type of challenge because it, it's just it's more gameplay and no one's going to complain about more gameplay mm, exactly one thing that's not in the demo i believe are the night battles which are kind of like these tower defense segments with the glow oh. pikmin which is a new type of pikmin uh they're a bit special because you can only really use them at night and they have all these other special features as well you can do a super attack with all of them they make a spirit ball and so <laughs> spirit bomb dbz yes it looks almost exactly like that but basically the concept is that there it's called a luminol it kind of looks like a termite mound but it's basically a base that you need to protect and the enemies huh. all come to it so it is the horde battle that you've seen in other games and then you c- can collect these they're based on konpeto which is a japanese snack i forgot what the game actually calls them but they're this small japanese candy that you collect and that will increase the number of your glow pikmin and so it's basically a tower defense segment in Pikmin, which does tie in with the Don Doherty aspect of divide and conquer. Uh, I do feel this is probably the most undercooked aspect of the game uh, because they're not so difficult. They get harder later on, but the strategy is basically you put Ochi at one area and then you collect some Pikmin at the start and then you just throw the Pikmin at the enemies as they walk to you kind of in a straight line. I'm curious to see if they expand upon it later on in the game, but I'm pretty far already. And it's not a bad addition, but I feel instead of just hurling the Pikmin at the enemies, it would have been more fun to maybe set up traps or do some more puzzle solving in these night battles, opposed to just you're building up the number of glow Pikmin and then just hurling the glow Pikmin at the enemies. But the glow Pikmin do look cool, so I think a lot of people will buy that plushie if they do release it. There are other things we haven't really talked about. You do have a mini base with a lot of people that you save, and they have their own speciality. There's somebody who runs the Piclopedia, so you can look up enemies. There's somebody mm-hmm. who they want you to collect as many Pikmin as possible, and they have these side quests where 
oh, I'll give you the, actually, I don't remember the name, even though I've collected a thousand of them, but the, <laughs> the glass orb type of things, that's basically your currency for the game. They'll give oh, you more. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I'm. They almost look like rock salts. Yeah. So, and all these side quests are basically things you're already doing. Oh, save the castaways. If you save 10 castaways, I'll give you these glowy rocks. Or if you find 100 enemies, I'll give you the glowy rocks. So it's not things you need to go out of the way to do, which is fine because you need more currency. And there are some light, I don't want to say RPG elements, but you can upgrade yourself. You can upgrade Ochi as well, which is new to Pikmin. So they've really rounded out the game a whole lot, especially compared to that first title. It just feels like a very complete package, and it's much, much longer than all the other Pikmin games probably combined. I don't know my hour count, but I'm, I haven't rolled credits yet, and I've definitely played it more than Pikmin 1 and maybe even Pikmin 3 combined. So before we move on to the other Pikmin games, what do you think is the, maybe the future of the Pikmin series? What do you want Pikmin 5 to be? A lot of people have been pointing to take Pikmin to open world. Do you think an open world Pikmin would work? Oh, open world. Well, at first I was going to respond with a joke response. I want to see Pikmin with guns. We got to set them <laughs> up in military. No, I I was going to go with that. And open world, that really just captured my imagination. And open world Pikmin, I don't know how that, I mean, that could definitely work. Probably because like, the levels are so big and vast to begin with. You could make the argument uh, to allow for an open world because I think the challenge of it would be is that it would have to be very meticulously designed mm. for because RTS games, it's it's a lot more strategy focused in adventure games. You can have not saying that Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom does this, but you can create vast spaces of just pretty landscapes and not really have to worry so much about it. But with within the mechanics of Pikmin how your movement and mobility is very much tied to the structure of the level an open world game would be very meticulous and challenging and and time consuming to make unless you kind of make it a the the individual world design a little more simple but i i don't know in terms of the future i i'm far from an expert but i I, the only thing i can think of is that either change, adding more different types of Pikmin. It's kind of a boring answer, I guess, because you would want to see something crazy in an open-world Pikmin game or Pikmin with guns if you're of the violent type. But <laughs> I would say just different kinds of unique types of Pikmin. But I would also like to see them try to break their formula a little bit while still keeping to its RTS roots. So I don't know. I, I could see either the open-world thing. Uh, I don't know exactly how that would work, but I'd be... I would, I would trust Nintendo to come up with something unique for it. Or you could just simply maybe change some of the mechanics of what your character is able to do. If maybe even give your character a little bit more mobility and see where that would take you. But I don't know how that would affect the rest of the RTS gameplay or if that even affects how the Pikmin follow you. Maybe they maybe it creates issues with pathing and that's why they have to be. So the movement has to be so limited for your character, because if you allow your character to go anywhere, maybe Pikmin just start Mm -hmm. getting stuck in trees or something like that. Yeah, I think Pikmin has a bright future no matter what. And Pikmin 4, I'm really loving it. I don't want to say it's my favorite Pikmin yet, but it's inching close to there. I do love Pikmin 3 Deluxe. Uh, I'm curious to see if it will definitively top Pikmin 3 Deluxe once I roll credits. But this is a really great game. And if you're new to the Pikmin series, I think this is the game to get. It has everything good about the past Pikmin games, but streamlines it in a really smart way. And if you like Zelda, 
There's Zelda puzzle solving in this game. If you like exploration from Metroid, there's Metroidvania-style exploration in this game. A lot of Nintendo fans, I think maybe they write Pikmin off a bit, but definitely jump into Pikmin 4. And I'll, once I roll credits, I will talk about it more on the podcast in the future. Let's take a brief ad break. Hey everyone, it's David Petrangelo, one of your hosts from Remember 64, the podcast that goes on the totally tubular journey through the Nintendo 64's library. Join us as we dive into classics from Nintendo, Rare, and into the early days of polygons and 3D worlds. Yes, we're covering it all from top of the charts down to the dingy basement and everything in between. We may even find a few hidden gems. Ooh, intriguing. Remember 64, only on the Tokyo Beat Network. So that's Pikmin 4, but let's go back all the way to the GameCube days and talk a little bit about Pikmin 1 and 2. So these were shadow dropped in June after the Nintendo Direct, and they are HD ports of the first two Pikmin titles. And these ports were being handled by NERD, N-E-R-D, Nintendo European Research and Development. Ooh, uh, I think whoa. a lot of Nintendo fans know them because they are in charge of the emulation for Nintendo Switch. Uh, for example, all okay. the Nintendo Switch online apps are handled by NERD. And they also worked on the Super Mario 3D All-Stars game as well, especially Super Mario Sunshine. The emulator for Super Mario Sunshine is the same emulator Nintendo is using here. It's called Hagi. So you can kind of expect the same thing as what they did to Super Mario Sunshine here. I think the biggest addition is that it is widescreen now, so it does fill up mm -hmm. your entire TV. It is 1080p as well, so high definition. Uh, however, it is 30 FPS, so they didn't crank it up to 60 or anything like that. And the textures are the same, so they didn't do any crazy upscaling for the textures. That's a bit controversial. I've seen some people say, oh, I wanted the 8K textures. But I also hear some people say, well, that kind of compromises the color palette of the game or the atmosphere of the game if you make it a bit too realistic or too high definition. Yeah. So. I want to hear a bit more about your experience with Pikmin 1. Why did you start playing it suddenly last year? So last year, I wanted to play because it's a game that I've always wanted to try. Also, my my friend Veach that I mentioned before when we did the episode together, periodically he'll reach out to me because we know each other in real life as well. So I always ask him to pitch some ideas. And I, and I know he's a huge GameCube fan. So I, I asked him, hey, do you like Pikmin? Would you want to come on for a Pikmin episode? And he said, yeah. So that gave me the excuse to finally sit down and play it. I started playing it and I would literally, I would stay up till 1230 in the morning, which is way too late for me on a work night. I kept wanting to play it and I, I loved it. I really was hooked on my experience with it. I think it really scratched an itch I didn't know I had in terms of a Nintendo RTS because I, I love the art I love the RTS genre Starcraft Age of Empires uh, Company of Heroes is actually a really unsung one in my opinion at least not that I hear people talking about it too often and when I saw that Pikmin was considered one I was like that's odd I never would have considered Nintendo making an RTS game and it, it's a very Nintendo RTS game. I mean, we don't really have to rehash a lot of the mechanics because we, we talked about it in the Pikmin 4 segment, but I just fell in love with it. I absolutely adored the game and I couldn't put it down. I, I kept playing it and playing it and mm. I would strategize out to kind of go along with the whole Don Dori thing that we were talking about before. It it was fun for me to try to plan out stuff. To be, okay, I need to get this many parts of Olimar's ship today. What can I do to do that? And if I couldn't get it, I would just 
reset the day and start over again. And I just enjoyed doing that. So that that was why I started playing it was for the show. And there are certain times where I'll play a game for the show and I'll enjoy it, but it doesn't necessarily get me hooked on the game. I'm actually kind of, for example, right now, what I'm playing for the show for whenever I beat it is uh, Yakuza 0. I'm playing Mm. through that for the first time. And while I'm enjoying it, I'm really liking it. It hasn't hooked me the same way that others have. And I'm not putting off podcast duties to go play Yakuza 0 versus Pikmin. So I, I fell in love with the series from that. Yeah, this is my first time playing the game since 2001 when I fell off due to the time mechanic, which scared me off. But I played it on the Nintendo Switch, the new version that I just talked about, and I really did enjoy it. So, of course, going from Pikmin 3 to Pikmin 1, there's definitely a huge gap between those two games. But I think one thing that stands out about Pikmin 1 is that it is quite unique, even among the Pikmin series. It has a very unique atmosphere, and just the vibe of the game is so different because it really does feel like you are stranded, isolated on some alien planet. And Mm -hmm. one thing that I feel is great about the Pikmin series in general is that it feels like a very authentic and realistic world. The enemies, they are aggressive, but they don't feel like video game enemies. They feel like creatures that just live in this world. And they act and react the way a creature would. Some are very hostile to you. Others are not. Others are scared of you. So it doesn't really feel, oh, let's put this enemy in and it does this game mechanic. It feels this is really naturally integrated into the world, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Especially the music. I think maybe Pikmin 1 still has the best soundtrack out of all the Pikmin games. It's just so iconic. And even it can just play in your head years after you've played the game. And I have it humming in my head right now. (laughs) Exactly. So it really has a unique atmosphere and feeling to it that the other Pikmin games really don't have. Fun contrast is that Pikmin 4, you're collecting all these crew members. It feels like you're making like a small little community, but in Pikmin 1, you're really by yourself. And we talked also about the tutorialization in Pikmin 4. Pikmin 1 really has very little tutorialization at all. You're really just thrown into the game and you need to kind of figure it out. And maybe they could do a little better about that. For example, telling you, oh, only yellow Pikmin can pick up the bombs. How am I supposed to know that? Unless mm-hmm. I, I guess I just hurl all my Pikmin at it. But that also does tie in with the atmosphere. It's, it's very quiet, very, I don't want to say austere, but a bit more reserved than you would see in Nintendo. And the dev interview that I think we'll dive into a bit more, they really tried to focus on, okay, I want it to feel a bit somber almost, which is yeah. a very marked contrast from other Nintendo games. And even though you have these very colorful characters, these primary colors that are really bright, it does feel a bit mysterious a bit i don't want to say sad but it does have a tinge of sadness or a tinge of melancholy yeah Yeah. so pikmin 1 it really stands out even today going back to it from pikmin 3 and even thinking now i'm playing pikmin 4 i i 100 understand people who say oh pikmin 1 is the best Pikmin game and the other ones they lost what was great about pikmin i understand that from an atmosphere perspective of course i do think the gameplay is significantly better in pikmin 4 compared to pikmin 1 for example, Pikmin 1, man, those Pikmin, they like to get stuck under bridges. They like to go into the water. They like to fall off of things. 
the drowning one. sound of the Pikmin is one of the most <laughs> awful things you'll ever hear. And it, it would be so frustrating. You, you talk about how they get stuck on things and how they get lost easily. You're just kind of running along and all of a sudden you hear a, I can't even do it, but it's just the that sound effect. I'm, oh God, where did they fall off? Why? How did this happen? And then you have to gather all your Pikmin and bring them down so they don't also fall in. And then you have to yes. get them out before they all drown. I remember one time I was, I, I forget what it was. I was trying to, I think it was actually near the final boss i messed up on the path to the final boss and i lost 10 in a row so there's this awful sound of just all these poor pikmin I'm, like, <laughs> I'm so sorry I, you didn't even die for a good cause it was just my in- incompetence <laughs> and another thing that really sticks out is the game's unique structure and i really even can't think of another game that has the structure of pikmin it has a hard time limit some other games of course do have that but in Pikmin, it just feels like it's so definite. It's you need to collect all these parts or else. And it's very unorthodox for a Nintendo game. And I do yeah. understand why they moved away from that because it, it is stressful. Even for me, I beat the game in 23 days. So I still had about a week left and I got all the parts. But there were days where I only got one part. So I felt, okay, this day, it, it kind of canceled itself out. I need to get more than one part in one day. And there were definitely mm-hmm. a few days where I felt I'm not going to get any part today. Everything's a disaster. Everything's going to collapse. All of is going to die. So I understand why they kind of moved away from that a bit. But it does really tie in with the Don Dory aspect where you need to master Don Dory or else you're going to lose the game, uh, which is a bit strict for Nintendo. Typically, they're very, okay, we'll give you whatever tool you want to help you enjoy the game the way you want it. The origin of Pikmin is you need to master this skill or else. That hard limit on the time and the, the the almost strictness that you never see in Nintendo games. It really adds into the whole aesthetic that you were talking about before, because depending on how many ship parts you're able to get determines the type of ending that you get. There's a good neutral and bad ending from what mm-hmm. I remember. And I one there's one ending where Olimar just turns into a Pikmin. He, yes. he, <laughs> he doesn't get to see his family again. He turns <laughs> into a Pikmin. It's really, there's a lot of dark morbid themes in the original pikmin game which is all masked behind these cute adorable little pikmin which is i guess kind of intentional because one of the big themes in that in that developer interview that you're referencing was they were really heavily inspired by tim burden yes Uh, and some of the early sketches i loved dude in that interview i love seeing the behind the scenes art sketches for what they kind of envisioned the pikmin Mm. to look like the first couple when they first started they almost looked like mice and they were going to denote the gender of the mice by what color their tail was blue or pink i love seeing their concept art for the pikmin and just seeing where they came from and how they changed since and how early on it seemed based off the the concept art they provided at the very least it seemed they came pretty close to what the final result was pretty quickly after that initial weird mouse thing yeah yeah that dev interview is a must read for anybody even slightly interested in pikmin i think a lot of the history of pikmin is oh miyamoto thought it up one day and here it is but there's actually many people involved and miyamoto is not really the one who kind of came up with pikmin but he is the one that kind of finalized the idea all these other developers had these scattered ideas about, okay, we have this design, we have this concept of there's a bunch of characters, but we have no idea what to do in terms of a gameplay structure. And Miyamoto was kind of the glue that brought everything together. And really since then, that's been kind of a pet project of Miyamoto. He's really pushed it a lot. And Pikmin 4, we'll get into the cells in a bit, 
this is really Pikmin's coming out for the world. And so I think Miyamoto is very happy. But at Dev Interview, it's really interesting to see the origins of our favorite game franchises and just how wildly different they used to be. I would not imagine, what is the inspiration for Pikmin? Oh, Tim Burton and Richard Dawkins and the French animated film Fantastic Planet. That would yeah. not be on my list at all about the influences. So yeah, Pikmin 1, it's still a great game if you're curious about playing it. I would definitely recommend it after you've played Pikmin 4 if you want to dive back into the origins of the series. I think the port is actually pretty good. People do want 60 FPS. That would have been nice. But it's probably the best version of Pikmin out there. So definitely check out Pikmin 1. Pikmin 2, our deep dive is not going to be as deep. It's going to be more of a dip our toe into the puddle type of deep dive. You haven't played Pikmin 2, correct? Correct. And I played only the first few days of Pikmin 2. I did buy the Pikmin 1 plus 2 bundle on Switch. And my plan was to, okay, I'm going to beat Pikmin 1 and beat Pikmin 2 before Pikmin 4 comes out. So I beat Pikmin 1. And then I went back to Tears of the Kingdom because that's an amazing game, so it's hard to pull yourself away from it. So I did play only just a few days of Pikmin 2. But even a few days of Pikmin 2, you can definitely see, okay, this feels very different from Pikmin 1. First of all, there's a much more detailed story. You have these elaborate cutscenes talking about Olimar, you need to make some money to save the company. We talked about before, this game focuses less on the overworld exploration and more on cave exploration. So you're diving Mm. into these self-contained areas that actually the first few are handcrafted, but the others are randomly generated, which is very atypical for a Nintendo game. You think about Nintendo's precision, but in Pikmin 2, they've really just generated these randomly generated caves. And so they're a bit more labyrinthian than the Pikmin 1 world, which is more precise and more Metroidvania or Zelda overworld. And in Pikmin 2, so it's much more puzzle-focused. You need to think about, okay, I need to bring this amount of Pikmin. And you find the Pikmin in the caves that don't have the onions, so you can't replicate them. You can only really use what you find. So they introduced the purple and white Pikmin, which are a lot of fun. White Pikmin are immune to poison, and the purple Pikmin are really strong, and they can carry up to... 10 times as many as a normal Pikmin. And mm. they look really, then they look fat and they look cute. So they're a, a very fun addition to the Pikmin lore. So one thing that stuck out for me about Pikmin 2 when playing it is, yeah, the structure is just, they went a totally different direction from Pikmin 1. They didn't try to build upon Pikmin 1 at all. It almost feels like a, an NES sequel where they had the first <laughs> game and then game two for Zelda, for Mario, at least the American version of Mario, For Castlevania, they Mm -hmm. just, okay, we have our first game. Let's just do something weirdly different for the second game. But Pikmin 2 definitely has its fans. There's definitely a lot of people who prefer Pikmin 2 over Pikmin 1. For me, again, it's only been a few days, but I do think I'll probably like Pikmin 1 more just because I do like the overworld exploration focus more than the more puzzly cave closed in type of gameplay. Yeah. But I did enjoy my time with Pikmin 2. And I mentioned before, it is the same emulator as Pikmin 1. It's 1080p, it's widescreen, it's 30 FPS. But if you're wanting to play Pikmin 2, this is the best way to do it. Oh, one thing I wanted to note about Pikmin 2 is that this is the introduction of the treasures. In Pikmin 1, you're really just collecting your, your ship parts. And for me, one thing I love about Pikmin is seeing the Pikmin carry those big, big things. And in Pikmin 1, you're carrying the ship parts, but you can't really tell what it is. It's just a gear or some sort of weird metal object. 
But in Pikmin 2, you're carrying batteries, you're carrying Nintendo things. In Pikmin 2, they had a collaboration with real-life brands. So, for oh. example, the first thing you collect is a battery. But in the GameCube version of Pikmin it's 2... It's a Duracell. Yes, it's a Duracell battery. <laughs> okay. And I believe Snapple also appear in the game. So there's quite a bit of collaborations in Pikmin 2, real-life brands. But in Pikmin 2 for Switch, they had to get rid of those because they don't want to pay Duracell the, the money to use the logo. It is still a battery, but it's a more generic design. And I know some people are disappointed, but this is something you would not notice at all unless you knew about what Pikmin 2 looked like because it does look like they took a lot of care into designing these new logos. It's kind of fun to see the contrast between the actual logos and then this made-up one. And honestly, I kind of prefer the made-up logos because it feels a bit more... I don't know. It's just, it just kind of takes you out of it if you see the Duracell logo when you're playing I Pikmin. would agree. It just feels, it like feels weird. a little bit dirtier. I'm kind of happy, though, that they got rid of it because it, it does feel a little gross to see here by Duracell, kids. You yeah. Know, I, not a fan of that. Yeah, I know they wanted to push that, oh, this is our Earth. And so, of course, our real-life objects are in the wild in this new Pikmin world. But I think the Nintendo stuff, that still pushes that idea strong enough. So you don't need a Snapple cap to push that idea out. I'll try to go back to Pikmin 2, but I am a bit worried that after I beat Pikmin 4, will I be pikmin out? And will the gap in terms of quality from Pikmin 4 to 2, will it be too much for me to complete Pikmin 2? But I will go back to it eventually. So before we wrap up and go on to the feature section, do you have anything else you want to talk about the Pikmin series? There is one thing I want to add, Mono, and you 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 asked me earlier in the episode, where do I see the Pikmin series going from here? Now, this is a semi-joke answer, but honestly, <laughs> semi-serious. I want to see, and it would be very small, but a Pikmin Battle Royale Oh, where you and maybe – I know it's probably – typically it's hundreds. I don't think it would work. I think any system would crash with that many objects on the stream. But maybe 10, right? Maybe 10 players. And it's you and 10 players all duking it out. Pikmin multiplayer. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say. I want to see Pikmin multiplayer. Mm. I want to see players be able to um, build up their army of Pikmin and try to uh, either either attack each other, which I don't think would work in the game. I think, if anything, there's a limited number of uh, treasures on screen, kind of what in Splatoon you have. You can take out the other players, but the goal is to cover as much area as possible with ink, not necessarily to take out the enemy players. I maybe do something similar where the goal you get so many more points or whatever for collecting treasures than you do for taking out enemy Pikmin that I think that would be a really fun idea. See multiplayer in Pikmin where you have a big map, there's a limited number of treasures on it, and the game ends once all the treasures have been taken, or if you want a time limit or whatever. And then whoever wins is whoever collected the most treasures. That's a great idea, honestly. I would love a multiplayer Pikmin. And we do have a little bit of that teased in Pikmin 4 with the Don Doherty battles. But Pikmin has a bright future ahead of itself. I think we'll definitely see a Pikmin game sooner than later. And that's it for the games. Let's move on to the feature on Pikmin Mania in Tokyo. Today's feature is about Pikmin Mania in Tokyo, a.k.a. the massive marketing campaign for Pikmin 4 in Japan. So it's clear that Nintendo is pushing Pikmin 4 as a breakout title for a brand new audience. Pikmin 3 Deluxe was the highest selling Pikmin game, especially in Japan. 
It sold about 2.2 million worldwide, and 860,000 of that was in Japan, so almost half, which is definitely a bit more than normal. But Pikmin is a Nintendo EPD property, so it's not Fire Emblem or Kirby, which is co-owned with other companies. So they have a bit more freedom in terms of what they want to do when it comes to marketing. And especially in Japan, I don't know about in America, Josh, do you feel Nintendo has been a bit more aggressive in marketing in the Switch era? Oh, yeah. I remember seeing commercials for Metroid Dread on TV, and that's not something you would ever, you would never see Metroid appear on a commercial. (laughs) Nintendo would never push that. So Pikmin has been getting a ton of push uh, uh, over here. And I think Nintendo in the Switch era is at a real prime spot. Everyone gets hyped over a new Nintendo game. You see Kirby sold gangbusters. Metroid Mm. sold better than any Metroid game in the series. Just something about the Switch and what Nintendo is doing right now and how they're marketing and how they're pushing their products is just really resonating with us as gamers. I will say with Pikmin 4, it's been really cool to see all the all the advertisements for it usually online but it's still it it just seeing it in general has been really cool to to see it get pushed to the forefront because mm. they try to do it with bloom and it really kind of fell through pretty quickly um but fours has been seemingly to get a, a big push yeah nintendo in general has been really strong in marketing switch titles in japan and they often rely on collaborations to reach people who might not follow traditional games media For us, if they announce Pikmin 5 tomorrow, we're going to know about it tomorrow. But other people, not so much. They don't know about games until they are released. So Nintendo has been really good at trying to reach people who don't follow traditional games media in order to introduce their titles. So one go-to for Nintendo is advertising on the Yamanote line, Tokyo's, I don't want to say main train line, but it's one Mm -hmm. of the more popular train lines in Tokyo. It's iconic because it's shaped like a circle. And so it goes around Tokyo and it hits a lot of the iconic spots in Tokyo, Shinjuku, Shibuya, Ueno, Ginza. So if you're a tourist, I think you probably spend a lot of time on this train line. And here you often see advertisements for Nintendo's first party properties. Pretty much every time a first party Nintendo game comes out, they decorate these stations, their billboards with the newest game. And so Pikmin 4 is the newest title. So at these train stations, if you go to Shinjuku Station, if you go to Shibuya Station, you see the Pikmin 4 advertisements. And they're quite big. And what's really cool about the Pikmin 4 ones is that they are different for each station. For example, the one in Shinjuku, it is the Pikmin carrying the Game Boy Advance SP. So that's very fun to see. Oh, this is 2023, but I'm seeing a Game Boy Advance SP on an advertisement. I'm not complaining. Um, Another one in Harajuku is the Pikmin are in a cave and they're fighting an enemy. Another one is that, oh, the Pikmin are in the house. So depending on which station you go to, you can see a different picture, which is a ton of fun. You've got to try to collect them all. And another great advertising venue are the download cards. So in Japanese convenience stores, these are places people go to every day in Japan. They sell the eShop download cards. I believe you do have them in America, correct? The eShop download cards? Yeah, they do. They do have eShop cards over here. I, I don't personally use them all that much because I just buy stuff directly from the store. Yeah, they feel kind of like mini billboards because, of course, if you go to a convenience store, you're seeing them every day. And so, especially at 7-Eleven, I associate 7-Eleven more with the Nintendo download cards. So if you go to 7-Eleven now, you can see the download card for Tears of the Kingdom, for Pikmin 4, even older titles as well. So it is kind of, okay, this person doesn't follow games media. 
but they do go to the convenience store. So they mm-hmm. might notice, oh, there's a new Pikmin game out. I kind of remember Pikmin or I remember hearing about it. It's not just you're selling it at the convenience store. It serves as a marketing tool as well. And the demo cards are really fun because they often have unique art on them as well. The Splatoon mm-hmm. ones, they have art that you won't find anywhere else. It's only on the download card, which is really fun. And last year, a new Pikmin merch started to appear at Nintendo Tokyo. This coincided with the Pikmin 4 announcement and the new Pikmin logo. So things like clothing, houseware goods, towels, vases that are Pikmin branded appeared in Nintendo Tokyo starting from last year. So Nintendo is not waiting until July to push Pikmin. There are Pikmin towels? Yes. Are they and, shaped as leaves? Uh, no, that would be a good one, though. But they're mostly like hand towels, and they have a Pikmin on them. But there are a lot of weird ones. The Pikmin vases is shaped like a Pikmin, and then you put a like, flower inside of it. So it looks like okay. top of the Pikmin's head is the flower. A new one that I don't know if it's new, but I just noticed it when Pikmin 4 came out, is a Bulborb blanket. So it's a sleeping bag, but it's shaped like a Bulborb. If you've ever wanted to be devoured by a Bulborb, that dream can come true at Nintendo Tokyo. They have the Pikmin pellet like with a number mm-hmm. on it. They sell containers that are just the shape of these pellets. I got some Pikmin socks, and they're selling a lot of shirts and other just weird things as well. But Nintendo marketing typically starts about a month beforehand. But for Pikmin, they really pushed out Pikmin earlier, late last year. That's when the new merch started to appear. That's when the, the statues of Pikmin at Nintendo Tokyo appeared. So Nintendo is really trying to push Pikmin as their next big new IP. Some other highlights from this marketing cycle. The biggest one, I think, is the Family Mart and Pikmin collaboration. Family Mart is a convenience store chain in Japan. And so they sold Pikmin-themed food. So there was a fruit sandwich, which had kiwi and grapes, and it was cream sandwich. They had strawberry bread that is shaped like a strawberry. And my favorite was the chocolate and banana ice cream sandwich, which doesn't have any fun shape or anything, but it tasted so good because the texture has the softness of the cream, but also the crunchiness of the chocolate. Mm -hmm. I ate this maybe two or three times. It was just that good. They also have some other fun things like a Pikmin eShop download card that is 1,500 yen, so about $12, but it's shaped like the Pikmin and they kind of staggered out the collaboration. A week later, they sold Pikmin bottle caps. And by bottle cap, I mean... It's the normal bottle cap, and then you can put this acrylic plastic stand of the Pikmin on top of the bottle cap. Mm. So you And you can just put it as a decoration on your desk. It's just a plastic picture of Pikmin. But these were quite fun to collect. And then a week later, they sold these plush Pikmin pouches and bags and even an ice Pikmin ice tray. So it's a mold of the ice Pikmin. And you put it in water... And then it freezes. And it's a big ice Pikmin. It's just one big ice Pikmin. Uh, and this... I wonder if you could use that to do popsicles, right? And you get... Uh, mm. So you would you put a little fake leaf as the stick or something like that? Maybe. That would be interesting. I wonder if you could do it or mod it that way. I mean, but then you are eating Pikmin, so I don't know if they want to advertise. <laughs> it is quite big. This ice tray, it costs about $30. You can imagine. It's just a huge... Almost like a softball-sized ice pigment. It's that big. <laughs> I don't know how practical it is, but I've seen some pictures online of people who have actually bought it and used it, and it does look authentic. It looks like an ice pigment. So oh, you know, $30 cool. is pretty steep for an ice pigment tray, but it is high quality. So if you want to make that that dive, go ahead. 
have a Pikmin themed birthday party with Pikmin popsicles. <laughs> you could, yeah. And another great Pikmin collaboration is the Ichiban Kuji prize raffle. Now, Ichiban Kuji is a lottery where you mm. buy a ticket for the lottery. It's a, a cardboard board, and then it has a list of all the prizes on it. And on the board is a small pocket, and in the pocket are these tickets. So you take a ticket and you pay for it at the register. And then the clerk will show you a box and you pick out another ticket from that box. And the tickets have the prize ranking from A, A, B, C, D, and so on. And then whatever letter you get, you can pick a prize from that tier. Uh, so it's typically one prize per tier. The best prize is this Pikmin light-up. I can't remember if it's a clock or just a stand, but it's this big light-up stand of the Pikmin that looks quite nice. And some other things that they have, the one I won, I believe it is the lowest prize. It is the Pikmin-themed Ziploc bags. It's just a plastic yeah. bag. And it's just a bundle of six Ziploc bags, but they have Pikmin on them. So that's the prize that you can win. <laughs> now, does Ziploc appear in Pikmin 2 as a brand? Ooh, I kind of wonder. I need to look that up. <laughs> uh, but these are the, the non-specific Ziploc bags. Okay. Uh, they are kind of useful, but I did when I won it, I thought... This is kind of Ziploc bags. I don't know if this is the best thing I could win. Typically, when I play these prize raffles, I just do it once, and then what I get is what I get. I'm not trying to for go for a specific prize. Whatever I get is fine. But I felt Ziploc bags, they only go so far. So I played again, and I got the C prize, which is a Pikmin carry bag. So it's a plastic vinyl bag with these rope handles, and it looks quite nice, and it's a bit more practical than the Ziploc bags. I can use it more than once, for example. So these Pikmin-themed Ichiban Kuji prices were a lot of fun. So yeah, you just go into a convenience store in Japan, you see, okay, there's a Pikmin ice cream sandwich. Oh, it has the Ichiban Kuji. I can win some Pikmin prizes. And if I buy some tea, it's got the Pikmin bottle cap. And another thing I forgot to mention is that they also had the clear files. This is an iconic Japanese merchandise item where it's just a clear folder and these are so popular because they're probably cheap to make. And if you bought three specific items, I think if you just bought the Pikmin snacks, you get a free clear file. I got an ice Pikmin themed clear file that I will never use, but it is in my bundle of other Nintendo <laughs> clear files that I never use. But they're fun to collect. And you never know, maybe I might use them. My tax information is in a Magikarp themed clear file. So every now and then they are useful. Who knew Magikarp hold, held the secrets to, to, <laughs> to the world? Yeah, it's funny. Every now and then I need to get my tax information and it's okay. Well, there, it's in the Magikarp folder, so it stands out. Some other fun Pikmin-themed collaborations. Gelato Pique, which is a Japanese sleepwear company, they had a Pikmin collaboration. And these are the wool pajamas that are Pikmin-themed. And they even sell these headbands that are shaped like the Pikmin's head. So if you mm -hmm. wanted to look like a Pikmin when you sleep, you can. Gelato Pique, it's a sleepwear brand, but it's geared towards women. So you might think, this is a very strange gaming collaboration. If you think of gaming collaborations, you think of what? Mountain Dew, Doritos. But Nintendo, they're trying to reach people who are not typical gamers. So they're doing collaborations with these companies and brands that are way more open compared yeah. to something a bit more streamlined. Family Mart is a convenience store. People go to it every single day. And then they're going to see the Pikmin stuff. Gelato Pique, the audience for this is exclusively 20-year-old Japanese women. 
that's a subset of people who traditional games media often don't reach. So they go to Gelato PK and they see Pikmin and then they're reminded, oh, I kind of remember Pikmin or I've heard about Pikmin. I just want to kind of make this point because this could be literally an entire another topic for a completely different episode. But I feel that's been Nintendo's not mon- mantra is not the right word, but objective, their goal ever since the Wii is trying to consistently reach people who don't who isn't the typical gamer market. Just you talking about how they're advertising Pikmin 4 over there. You said they're reaching out to audiences that aren't typical to gaming, aren't the typical gaming audience. And it's just, it's it's fascinating for me to hear from someone who's only ever lived in North America. So it's it's just, I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah, but you nailed it. They're trying to reach people who are not in your typical gamer sphere. It goes back all the way back to the, the blue ocean idea of the Wii and reaching people who normally don't play games. Mm -hmm. Nintendo is still pushing that idea in the Switch era, and that's possibly why they've been so successful. Some other cool Pikmin collaborations. This ties in with what you said earlier. You're playing Yakuza 0. Now, Yakuza 0 takes place in Kamurocho, which is based off of Kabukicho, a real-life neighborhood in Japan. Have you been to the Don Quixote in Yakuza 0, the store that sells things the big yes i have actually i have been there so that is a real store in japan the location is exact and in that store that you went to in yakuza zero they had a huge pikmin 4 banner above their store right before pikmin 4 released i did post pictures of it on my twitter account as well so this is something i've never seen actually because i've seen advertisements of course in train stations but i've never seen this kabukicho don quixote have a Nintendo advertisement on it before. So I was a bit shocked to see this when I came across it. Hmm. And so this Kabukicho is a huge tourist area, not just for Japanese people, but for international travelers as well. So it's really prime real estate space. Everyone is seeing this huge Pikmin 4 banner. And Kabukicho is right on the street where it has the Toho Cinema's Shinjuku, which a lot of people call the Godzilla Theater because it has a huge Godzilla statue on the top of the building. Godzilla and Pikmin are on the same street. So they're almost on the same pop cultural level now. So Pikmin <laughs> has been really elevated these past few months. Pikmin 4 is out now, but the merch and the collaborations and the marketing is not done. There is going to be an Ice Pikmin and Ochi plushies in September. So Sanae, they handle a lot Ooh. of Kirby plushies. And so if you want your very own Ochi, you can own it in just a few short weeks. Oh my uh, God, I would kind of love one to give to my daughter. <laughs> yeah. And the main event, though, is in November. The Pikmin Terrarium collectible toys from Remint. What? Remint, they make these blind box toys. They're mostly famous for Pokemon. They have a lot of Pokemon collaborations and a lot of Pokemon Terrarium uh, figures. And so I don't know if you've seen these, Josh, uh, but they're Pikmin Terrarium. They look like a small kind of a plastic bottle, and inside is a small little scene from the world of Pikmin. So you've got like the bulb orbs eating the Pikmin. You've got the Pikmin relaxing in the water. If you've never seen this, you need to Google it or look on my Twitter account. These look (laughs) totally awesome. And I'm definitely buying one. It might be hard not to buy all of them because they are blind box toys. So you don't know what you're going to get, but you can buy a bundle with all six of them and you're guaranteed to get one of each. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but I would definitely get one. And this is something I'm really looking forward to. These look awesome. Listeners, look it up if you haven't yet. So that's the Pikmin Mania in Tokyo. A lot 
about this little game series that could. A lot of people, they say, oh, Pikmin was the C-tier Nintendo franchise, is B-tier at best, but it's having its breakout moment right now, and I'm very happy to be here in Japan to experience the growth of Pikmin. It makes so, me happy to hear the series doing so well because it's kind of similar to Metroid, where it's it, I know Metroid Dread didn't it still sold really well for a Metroid game, just comparatively to Mario and Zelda. Obviously, it's still small, but it makes me happy that Pikmin is getting the attention it deserves, and it makes me so happy to see it getting some love, not only just from nintendo trying to push it but it's shown in the sales too which just it makes me happy to see yes and we're going to get into that right now with the news section all right let's look at the news i think the biggest piece of news is once again pikmin related the pikmin 4 sales numbers in japan have come out and in the first week alone it has sold 402,000 physical copies, which is the highest in franchise history. To compare, Pikmin 3 Deluxe for the Switch, the formerly highest opening weekend, was 171,000 physical units. So it sold more than double. And this is physical only. So we don't have the digital numbers yet, but based on some other past titles, you can probably expect about 650 to 750,000 units total for Pikmin 4 in Japan alone. And keep in mind that Pikmin 3 Deluxe sold 860,000 total in Japan. So its opening weekend almost topped Pikmin 3 Deluxe's entire sales <laughs> history. Uh, so this is really huge news. This is showing that, okay, Pikmin 4 is breaking out. This is its big breakout moment. If you remember last year, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, that was also another, we're tired of Kirby selling one to two million copies every game. We wanted to sell 5 million copies. And Kirby has sold over 6 million copies. The Forgotten Land, it sold over 6 million copies since last year. So it's at its big breakout moment. But Pikmin 4's opening in Japan is bigger than Kirby and the Forgotten Land's opening last year. Kirby and the Forgotten Land was about, I want to say maybe either 330,000 or 380,000. I don't remember exactly, but Pikmin 4, bigger opening. So I think the floor for Pikmin 4 is definitely maybe about 4 or to 5 million. To put that in perspective, if this game sells about, let's say, around 5 million copies, that's more than any Fire Emblem. That's more than any Metroid. That's more than any Xenoblade. So Pikmin 4 has leapfrogged a lot of other Nintendo franchises. Wow. It's not Mario tier, it's not Zelda tier, but it is in that upper echelon. It's closing in on Kirby, something that even I would not have thought about. What's your takeaway about Pikmin 4's huge opening weekend? I think more than anything, it's showing that people are looking for new types of experiences. It's kind of amazing to see Nintendo, the RTS genre in a very Nintendo sense, get a little bit of love from this. So yeah, it just my takeaway is that people are looking for a new experience and it makes me happy that they're trying it out. Same thing with, I know Splatoon 3 did really well for Nintendo as well. It makes me happy to see it. It makes me happy that people seem to be taking a chance. They, They want something new. Um, and I think Pikmin f- 4 is kind of a way to show that people are looking for new things, at least in this layman's perspective. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, that's a common trend in the Switch era is that games are just being elevated and franchises are being elevated. The best-selling Fire Emblem title is Three Houses on the Switch. So that game had a bit of a breakout in 3DS, but it even went further for the Switch. And Kirby, 
I said before, its ceiling was about 2 million copies, but then The Forgotten Land, huge hit. Now it's selling 5, 6 million copies. And so many other franchises have been elevated. They suddenly brought back Clubhouse Games, and that sold a couple of million out of nowhere. Smaller franchises, instead of Nintendo focusing on making a lot of new franchises, they've been thinking about, okay, what do we already have, and how can we elevate that to a maybe not Mario tier, but a bit closer than it should be. And for some perspective, Pikmin 4's opening weekend has sold more in Japan than Final Fantasy 16 has sold in a month in Japan. So Pikmin is the new Final Fantasy. There's going to be a Pikmin MMO. It's going to take over the world. And there's going to be a Pikmin Battle Royale. I'm calling it. (laughs) Exactly. Some more Japanese sales news. Human Fall Flat. Have you heard of this game, Josh? I have. I've never played it, but I have heard of it. It's a physics platformer. And it is, I don't want to say multiplayer platformer, but you can play it multiplayer. And that's where most of the fun comes in. It's basically a physics playground where you're controlling a character and he's very kind of loosey-goosey or I don't want to say quop-esque, but your (laughs) movements are kind of janky and very, very physics focused. But it is a very fun game and it's very popular in Japan because Human Fall Flat has sold over 2 million copies in Japan alone. Wow, okay. One of the reasons why I even noticed this game, I think I noticed it on Steam maybe years ago, but Steam has dozens of these wacky physics games, things like Gang Beasts and other titles. But when I first moved to Japan and the Switch library was not as big as it is now, I kept noticing that Human Falls Flat was really on the top of the eShop charts in Japan quite often. And it went on sale pretty much every other month. But I kept thinking, why is Human Fall Flat just always on the top of the eShop charts? And so I bought it and I played it. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. But it's a huge phenomenon in Japan. And Hmm. especially the Switch version, I think probably most of the sales are the Switch version. So that is a, you don't really think about Western titles kind of breaking out in Japan. You think of Japan as its own unique ecosystem. But it is kind of funny to see what Western titles break out in Japan and become a huge hit. And another title that became a huge hit is Momotaro Dentetsu. Have you ever heard of the Momotaro Dentetsu series? I have not. It is actually from Hudson Soft. Originally, it was a game called Momotaro Densetsu, The Legend of Momotaro. Momotaro is a very famous uh, Japanese fable about a boy. He's born in a peach. He comes out of the peach and he fights some demons. And originally, I think the original game was maybe like RPG, a JRPG. And this is a spinoff of that game. Densetsu in Japanese means legend. Dentetsu in Japanese means railway. So it's a pun <laughs> on that. And okay. it, is, it is a board game similar to Monopoly, but it's a train themed. So you're going to each step or each part is that train station. And Momotaro Dentetsu for Switch, it, this series has been around for ever since maybe 1990 or so. And it's been up and down. Its peak was probably the Super Famicom days, the SNES days. And this is a franchise that has never come out in America either. So it's one of those Japanese 90s franchises that people remember, but it's not a huge hit or anything. And the last game before the Switch one was maybe for the 3DS, maybe in 2013 or 2014 or so. But in 2020, the newest Momotaro Dintetsu game came out and it became a huge hit in Japan. And it has now sold 4 million copies in Japan alone. Wow. So this makes it one of the highest selling third-party Switch titles in Japan. I think maybe Monster Hunter beats it and Minecraft beats it 
So it's Minecraft, Monster Hunter, and then this game has sold millions and millions of copies. And the newest Momotaro Dintetsu game is coming out in November. So I kind of wonder, can it replicate the sell success? Because a big reason why it became so popular is because, it, well, it came out in 2020. I'm not sure if you remember what happened in 2020. Uh, I, were, I can't even imagine what happened <laughs> A lot of people were, st- were staying inside and playing video games. I wonder why. And this game came out in December. Really, no other game came out in December 2020. There's no big title. So families who wanted something to play in December, the New Year's holiday in 2020, they picked up Momotaru Dentetsu, and it's been selling ever since. And so it became this huge phenomenon. So I kind of wonder, can they replicate it with this newest title, or was it just a fluke? Is this like a new, legitimate, huge franchise, or is it just kind of like a, a one-and-done type of deal? But the gimmick of the new Momotaru Dentetsu game the first game for the Switch, its gimmick was that, oh, you're traveling in Tokyo or traveling in Japan. This one is focused on the world. So you're traveling different cities around the world. And so I kind of think, oh, are they maybe they're making this more international version so they could sell it in the West? It hasn't been announced yet, but I do kind of wonder if they are that going to bring the series cool. to the West, which might I mean, open up more doors. I mean, Nintendo has been bringing over more things to the West that typically they would not have in the past, specifically the Famicom Detectives Club. It's games that you wouldn't typically see being released in North America all of a sudden are getting some thoughts. Of course, except Mother 3. That's always going to be the bane of (laughs) most people's existence. That that has not come out in North America yet. But I do think it's kind of cool that Nintendo, if that's the case, if Nintendo is, is... aiming to push a release of it outside of Japan, I'm all here for it. Once again, I said at the, why is Pikmin 4 selling so well? I think we just need some new types of games. I'm all for taking a gamble on something like that. A game that did come out in North America is Zelda Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages, which is now on Nintendo Switch Online. So have you ever played these titles before? I have not. I oh. actually own a handful. I actually own them in my collection, or at least one of them physically. I have the original uh, Game Boy Color uh, version of it. And then I actually think I have one on my 3DS that I, I think was gifted to me somehow. One of those Nintendo rewards things. I haven't had a chance to play. I do know it's very similar to Link's Awakening, though, in terms yes. of engine, almost like visuals right. and that kind of thing. But it wasn't yeah. developed by Nintendo. I believe that was developed. Were they developed by Capcom? It technically was, but the actual developer was called Flagship, which is a company made from investment by Capcom, Nintendo, and actually Sega as well. They poured money into this company to make games for their platforms. So Flagship, they worked on Resident Evil 2, they worked on Dino Crisis a bit, Mm -hmm. and they also worked on the Oracle games, Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages. So a lot of people think, oh, did they just farm this game off to Capcom? Did they just give it to Capcom and say, do whatever? Not really, because Nintendo also had a big part in creating flagship. They don't exist anymore. They are quite important to Nintendo history because one of the people who worked at flagship, the director of the Oracle games, Hidemaru Fujibayashi, is the director of Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. So he is still with Nintendo. So this game is actually quite important in the history of Zelda, at least, because this is his first foray into the Zelda franchise. And I'm a huge fan of both of these games. They are high quality, and the gimmicks for both of them are really cool. So in Oracle of Seasons, you have, I think it's called the Rod of Seasons, where Mm -hmm. you use it, and it will change the season of the map. So spring, summer, fall, winter. 
And so it technically has four overworlds. There's a spring overworld, there's a summer overworld, there's a winter overworld. A very typical puzzle is that, okay, you're in the winter area and you use the rod to change it to spring and a flower bud will bloom in spring and then you can jump on the flower and go somewhere else. Or, okay, if you want to make a bridge, you can freeze the ice, kind of like Pikmin, I guess, and walk (laughs) over it in winter. And Oracle of Ages is time travel. So you can time travel with a single button. There's one that's 100 years in the past and the present. So I believe, is it a harp or something? I forgot how you actually time travel, but you have some sort of time traveling object. And it's really cool because it's not like in Ocarina of Time where you need to go to Temple of Time and do whatever. Here you can just press B and then it changes the overworld map. So a, a very fun typical puzzle is that you're 100 years in the past and you stand in a spot and then you time travel and then you're in a building that was built 100 years later. There's a lot of fun type of puzzles like that. And another really iconic part of this game is that they're connected. So you beat one game and then you get a code that you put into the next game. And if you put in that code, you will get objects from the first game in your game. Oh, that's cool. Yes. So rings is a big thing you collect and they give you buffs and give you extra powers. So you can bring over your rings from one game to the other game. And there's also some other objects that you can only get in the Link games, like a Bigoron sword, which is this huge weapon you can use. <laughs> I mean, that shows up. That, I mean, that first showed up in Ocarina, I remember. Yes. So a lot of these fun callbacks show up in this game as well. And the final boss, if you want the true final boss, you need to use the linked version. So oh. for players out there, if you're wondering, oh, which one do I need to start with? You can start with either one. It doesn't matter. But do complete one and then the other. Don't play both at the same time because it is a very much a one continues into the next one type of game. And next bit of news, Fashion Dreamer is coming to Nintendo Switch on November 3rd. This is developed by Sin Sophia and is the successor to Style Savvy, which was a Nintendo-published franchise about running a boutique. Now, have you ever heard of Sin Sophia, Josh? No, not even in the slightest. Before they were Sin Sophia. They were Aki, or AKI Corporation. You might know uh, them they from, were. they made the N64 wrestling games. So games like oh. No Mercy, WCW uh, versus NWO World Tour. They were developed by AKI or Aki. I always say AKI, but I'm not sure exactly how the correct pronunciation. But the company that made those iconic wrestling games for the N64, they're now no, making no, no, these uh, fashion games. So it is quite a departure, but there are still fans of the style-savvy franchise. And it is a bit weird because this is a new franchise. It's not style-savvy. Style Savvy is published by Nintendo, but the d- publisher of this game is Marvelous. But it is Switch exclusive for now, so I kind of wonder why aren't they making a Style Savvy game? Maybe Nintendo didn't give them the money, which is a bit strange because I think this type of game is really perfect for the Switch. We are not in the demographic, but Nintendo Switch has a very wide demographic. A lot of people who are casual gamers or maybe outside of the typical you know, 18 to 35 male demographic are playing on the Nintendo Switch. So I think a game like this is really smart. And the concept of this game is that you are a fashion influencer. So you do not have a boutique like in Style Savvy. I do like the look of the game. It has this very beautiful pastel art style. And it kind of looks like it's made with matte pencils a bit. So even though it's not in my wheelhouse, I think it could be a surprise hit. I did look up the the game that Fashion Dreamer, and I see what you're saying about the art style of it. I can see why it would be why it's appealing. 
you mentioned that the under Aki. Now, I never played the wrestling games on the N64. I was never a big wrestling fan, but something that jumped out to me was that they also ported SimCity to the Nintendo DS. Oh. Uh, they, they did SimCity DS and SimCity DS2, which I find kind of amusing. One what of those a, small Japanese weird. companies who are very work for hire, they'll do a lot of support yeah. work. We talked about Aiting, who co-developed Pikmin 4. You should look up their list after this because they've worked on so many games that are just, you would not expect. Naruto mm-hmm. games, Zoids, Marvel vs. Capcom, just a bunch of weird stuff. There's a ton of these great Japanese gaming companies that you've probably never heard of, but they have a hand in some of your favorite games of all time. And the last bit of news that I want to get into, very Tokyo-focused, the Street of Mother exhibit is coming to Japan in September. So this is an exhibit for the Mother franchise, aka Earthbound. So there's a lot of these pop-up shops that appear, especially for Earthbound. I've been to a few of them. But this one has some exclusive items like a skateboard. If you want an Earthbound skateboard deck, this is the place to buy it. It has a hat with Smash. If you've ever played Earthbound, the critical hit (laughs) says Smash in this really cool font. You can have a hat with that on there. And also a big version of the teddy bear. In Earthbound, you can buy a teddy bear that protects you. And they sold a smaller version of this uh, maybe a few years ago. They started selling it. But now you can have an even bigger one. So it will be in September in Ikebukuro and also Shibuya. So I'll definitely try to make my way out there and maybe pick up. I I can't promise I'll pick up the skateboard, but I do kind of want that hat. It looks really fun. I would buy the hat, but I'm more interested in the skateboard. Not because I skateboard, but just the fact that you can buy a mother skateboard. That's kind of awesome. Well, that was our Pikmin episode. So Josh, once again, thanks for joining me. Where can people find you? Oh my gosh, Mono, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm honored that you invited me on for this. But in any case, uh, where you can find me at Pod on all the normal social channels, X is a thing, Facebook, Threads, Instagram. I'm also over on Blue Sky at Pod, Hive, if that's all over the place, Twitch, same thing, at Podcast on YouTube. But uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. And you can find my show where all, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. And if I, if you were not tired of my voice by the end of this beefy episode, you can check out my show there. I do retrospectives on video games. I do deep dive, uh, retrospective deep dives. I do interviews with people in the game in, games industry, voice actors and composers and game devs. Actually, at the time we're recording this in two days, I have an interview with a voice actress i'm looking forward to if you want a good starting point i would recommend i did interview mono here on the show so i thought my listeners would like to learn a little bit more about the person behind the show so you could check that out and also one of my personal favorites the final fantasy fantasy draft which came out last year it's kind of what happens when final fantasy and fantasy sports mix you do not have to know fantasy sports to enjoy this episode i promise you that and if you listen to that enjoy it keep an eye out there might be something else kind of in line with that coming out later this year so yeah that's that's it for me uh, at or still loading podcast where all good podcasts are given away for free awesome yeah once again thanks for joining me and that's all for this week thanks as always for listening be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app leave a five-star review as well it helps with visibility this podcast is also available on youtube so like and subscribe there as well I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. Just search for Tokyo Game Life or find the links in the podcast description. If you like the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends and on social media. 
If there's anything you want me to talk about or cover, don't be shy. Just message me on Twitter. The next episode will be on August 13th. See you later. Matinee.